Record. recording. And I'll just press record on the Zoom chat as well. Uh, record. Okay, so it's the Meg Chan and Justin podcast. podcast. Yay! 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 <laughs> I'm glad we nailed that one because the last one we did. Was it was really terrible. Rubbish. It's terrible. The worst we've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was, was the good. patrons. If you want to hear that really terrible one, dear listener, you can go to our Patreon. Patreon. I mean, the podcast com. wasn't terrible. The beginning oh, was terrible. Podcast. Yeah. Big, yeah. Terrible beginning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash Meg, John, and Justin. But welcome, dear listener, to this free podcast. We're doing yeah. uh, Desert Island Discs, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's exciting. I can't I mean, even... it's not. Yeah. It's not for Radio 4, but it's even better than that. Yeah. But well, I mean, MJ maybe talk- after they've heard this, they may have us on the Radio 4 one. I mean, who yeah. wouldn't? Yeah, this is going to be if you're, it's gonna be so good. If you're new to us, we're Magdalene and Justin. We podcast about sex, relationships, and our relationships to the broader world. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we're doing one on uh, songs that we've kind of... So we're doing like a play playlist yeah. of songs, the things that we've kind of talked about that are relevant to our work. They're not necessarily our favourite songs, but some of them are our favourite songs. But yeah. MJ, talk, walk us through why it is yeah. we're doing this. How did this happen? This. Right, Because yeah, this so is what, exciting as well. It's so great. The Sociological Review, which is mm-hmm. as exciting an a online journal as it sounds, got in touch and said, you know, they're doing, uh, in all of July, I think, their theme is sound. And so they're asking a bunch of sociologists to do playlists for them and maybe write a bit about the meaning of the different songs in relation mm-hmm. to their work. <laughs> and I was like, um, I think you might have misunderstood because <laughs> uh, not really sociologists here, but they love yeah. our work and they love the podcast and right. they want I to mean, include us. So, I'll yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like a sociologist, Justin? Not really. I mean, any any title where I don't, where I'm like, I'm a bit bored of calling myself a sex educator and so much of what mm. I do, I feel like I've not written or talked about sex for like three months. So <laughs> so it would be nice to have like another job title, but I don't, I don't know, what is a sociologist? like? What? I mean, they look at life, they look at life through a sociological lens, which means the emphasis is on the social. And I think, yeah, yeah like I was, I was saying to someone about the podcast recently, something about, you know, it not being political and they burst into so much laughter you know, because like we're always we're always got the socio socio political analysis yeah. going on. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, I was never I never did a degree in sociology. I did psychology, which was a big mistake because I should have done sociology because right. definitely that's where the theories and the ideas that I draw on most come from. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I think yeah, like intersectional feminism, we draw on on a lot, and that is although it's actually rooted in law, you know, it could be seen as definitely a sociological theory because it's got that social level of analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and our project kind of started with this sociological book that I was involved with, which is like yeah. the only book I've ever done that's really a proper academic book, um, which was with Ros Gill and Laura Harvey, Mediated Intimacy, which was mm-hmm. all about a sociological analysis of sex advice. And then we just, so in a way, like our project did come from what would a sociological sex advice look like? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, the, if you're if you're new to our origin story, dear listener, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just started working on this uh, on mediator and intimacy before mm. we started working together. We were friends at this point, but before we started working together, MJ is like, 
hey, do you want to write a sex advice book? I'm like, yeah, cool, sounds great. And so we were like, we started writing Enjoy Sex, however, and if you want to. Um, and uh, that came, we wrote that, and that was published, came out before Mediated Intimacy came out. Yeah, because so academic books take a, a whole long time to do. But yeah, I thought, because I was working on that project, I just really, I really don't like that kind of academic critique that doesn't put anything in its place mm. um and i think that is something that a lot of academics and sociologists are a bit at um you know not that they should all be able to necessarily write something different or mm. put out something different but i do like i wanted to join up and think well okay if we're saying this is what's wrong with sex advice i'd love to see you know what would it look like if you did do a kind of socially informed more political form of sex advice and that's really yeah. what started us off Exactly. You're you're not all talking no trousers, are you? You're like I'm all trousers. You're no, all trousers. I'm, I'm talk and trousers. You've got all the trou all of the pair of trousers, which is strange because I rarely see you in trousers. You're always wearing shorts. Yep. But anyway, mostly shorts. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all I'm all talk talk and shorts, shorts and talk. You know anyway. those people who you see around when it's really cold weather, dear listener, yeah, who are wearing, and they've got still like a, they're shorts. all rubbed up and they're wearing a really thick jumper and yes. they're wearing like hiking boots and thick socks, That's but they're the still look. wearing shorts. That's, That's the, the look, look. exactly. <laughs> so you said so here that maybe we're biopsychosociologists. Biopsycho yes, I'll take I think that. that yeah, I think so, because we try and include the body stuff and we try and include the, yeah. the stuff from psychotherapy and psychology as well. Um, we think there's some value in that, so it's it's joining it all yeah. up, interdisciplinary, really, isn't it? Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. Writer, podcaster, and biopsychosociologist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> maybe that's my job title. I think it's great. Yeah. So we've picked. Um, they said six to twelve songs. So obviously so we we've gone 13. for twelve, <laughs> and actually it's thirteen because in a way the first one should be the intro to the Muppet Show because that is yeah. a song that we have mentioned several it, times on the podcast. We have mentioned that. Yeah, that uh, the, there is a familiarity with the opening to our podcast that we try to do that is yeah. similar to. We had a row. Well, not row. We had a, <laughs> a disagreement. We, yeah, a disagreement about how that started. Uh, which lasted for about eight minutes on the podcast, which was, felt like an eternity, dear listener. Yeah, I'm really so sorry about not, that. Let's not do that again. But yes, if they'll let us, I think we would we would put them up at show as the first song, yeah. just as like the opening to this Desert Island Discs. We're, like We're not allowed to play you the songs. We we figured it out that that's not Sadly. possible, is it? But, but no. we will do a YouTube playlist and maybe a Spotify. Mm-hmm. I'll do a Spotify playlist as well. Yeah, that would be good. Songs, huh? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. one of them, uh, certainly for one of them, I can't find like the ultimate version that uh, the, the listener needs to hear which would you would be able to hear on spotify but on youtube i can't seem to find it but um uh some of the videos actually that we'll link to are really good um, yeah like, so it's worth, like watching, we're the really bits, worth yeah. watching the videos the yeah the new order one is amazing i only saw that for the first time today. yeah okay. janelle Monet, Monet, you want the video as well i think yeah. oh yeah yeah mm, yeah Right. And so, yeah, we'll do the YouTubes and the Spotify. It's going to be this multimedia extravaganza. Um, and here, up with song one, which is a mu- some of these songs are much more I've chosen them, some much more Justin's chosen them, and some are like smack bang in the middle, like in our overlap of our Venn diagram. Um, mm-hmm. And this would be true of the first one, right? Oh, this is uh, just this. Uh, if I could have made all of this about George Michael, I would have. <laughs> yeah. We were tempted to do 12 George Michael songs, but yeah. we thought, yeah, no. <laughs> Or just so <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we've chosen fast love. We have. Right. So <laughs> um, when he's talking about fast love, like he's not like it's that euphemism of love, isn't it? You know, yes. they used to have like you know the Beatles had it, didn't they? You know, when the Beatles were singing about love, it was really about 
sex. Yes. And that's definitely going on. I think, you know, the context <laughs> of Fast Love is that he's wanting to get some nookie, you know. Mm. He's going out and finding some casual uh, acquaintances, or he can actually call them his friends as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like, when, when a journalist, journalist asked George once, you know, why do you... You know, why do you go on Hampstead Heath and have sex with these people? And he's like, they're my friends. You know, I just, mm. you know, I like hanging out with them. It's like, so, you know. That's uh, nice, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. it's tribbling. It's a nicely tribbling some of the things that we talk about on the podcast a lot, like how you don't need to get erotic love and romantic love necessarily in the same place. Well, some people yeah. don't want either of those things. Some want one without the other. It's fine to get them in different places. Um, yeah, all of that. Definitely. But the but I fast also, love yeah. here that we, yeah, you want to talk about this a bit, Angela. Well, so also, we yeah, can, yeah, I use that kind of idea of fast versus slow love. Like we mm. talk a lot about new relationship energy and about mm-hmm. you know romantic, romantic and or erotic love going very fast, and we're mm-hmm. quite skeptical of that oh, um, it sucks. because it's so hard to be intentional <laughs> and consensual. Mm-hmm. when that's what's happening uh mm-hmm. so we've done we've done podcasts about new relationship energy again I'll, I'll link to these podcasts on in the show notes um but so yeah so so we're jumping off really fast love to say what about slow love what about slow yeah. relating uh wouldn't mm-hmm. that be a good idea yes it's a it's a heady mix of um people going with what they think is entirely biological feelings uh mm-hmm. and with the societal script telling everyone go 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 this is absolutely natural you should definitely do this and the whole yeah. thing is fucking is terrible it's toxic and it's awful yeah <laughs> it's, and, and it's, it's the, the, the short version for me and the way that's sociological <laughs> not that we need to do this for every song but like you know it is yeah. about this cultural concept of yeah romantic love's the most important kind of love um you know we should be looking for it that's the big adventure in life still Mm -hmm. for many people particularly it's gendered towards women as like that's what we should be all about as you know so yeah exactly crucially Mm. the fast love video is amazing it's absolutely amazing and george (laughs) looks amazing in it he's like he's so hot i mean my sexuality is straight but uh but i want to have sex with george michael as well if Mm. we can like you know that's that's pretty much where we're going and uh hetero flexible for george yeah yeah Yeah. and um the video was like shot in the mid 90s like when's fast love that's 95 96 Mm. and it looks like it was made in 10 years time it's like incredible i love that video okay great um but we've also talked about other george michael songs we've talked about we have mentioned many george michael songs so let's just briefly mention the other ones in a recent one about sadness, I talked about Jesus to a child, uh, invoking the idea of like melancholia rather than mm. sadness, and that Jesus to a child, um, every single memory has become a part of me. It's like there is that uh, uh, the Freudian sense of melancholia that it's that it's he's not been able to mourn an event which uh, uh, has kind of with a beginning and an end, I guess, but it's just something that's kind of got deep inside of his uh of his psyche which is um can be you know really tricky to deal Mm. with another one we talk about a lot is when we're talking about sex positivity and Mm. also asexuality is i want your sex yeah because the first thing we need to say (laughs) yeah yeah. sex is natural sex is good not everybody does it but everybody should yeah that's bad that's bad george No, no 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 None of those things are true. (laughs) Really, the most important thing to say about I Want Your Sex is that it absolutely bangs. It's such, such a great song. And it's really long and it's 
it's not long enough. It's yeah. incredible. It's from his first album, Faith. There is a 12-inch uh, remix of it, which is even longer. And even that's not long enough. It's just it's absolutely incredible. It's like one yeah. of his uh, one of his sex jams, and we love it. Yeah. Uh, I also like Freedom 90 a lot, which is actually mm-hmm. written about George Michael's, like he wanted a different relationship with his record label, and that was what it was about. But for me, it's about how we can only really be in good relationships with people if we're free to be in a relationship with them. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, all, a real uh, theme for us as well. All we have to see is that I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a six and a half minute pop song. And to quote the Rolling Stone review of this, it's the shortest six and a half minute pop song. I think it's possibly one of the best pop songs. If it wasn't for Tro- Club Tropicana, which yeah. I think is absolutely bangs. It's from Wham, and it is a socialist anthem. Everyone, fun and sunshine. There's enough for everyone. We're living there enough, in. There's enough for everyone. There is enough for everyone. We 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 do live in a, a world of abundance, but we're living in forced scarcity of capitalism and neoliberalism. And actually, what they mm-hmm. were saying in 1983 is to reject that. There is enough for everyone. All that's missing is the C, and the C here is communism. Or yeah. Or Corbynism, but that we can't have that anymore. You're understanding we're, we're the sea nice as the as the sea rather as than the, the sea rather than yeah. the sea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I liked what you said about Freedom Ninety as well. Return to that, like this sense of like, yeah, what does it look like to be free in relationships of all kind? This relates mm. to our theme of like consent is important mm. not just for sex but for every aspect of relationships, and not yeah. just for romantic relationships, but also relationships with, for example, a record label or a yeah, creative partner. Time. Yeah. 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 Ongoing consent really, really important, and mm. uh, and yeah, he was in a terrible record contract, and he famously took Sony to court, and it took years. Um, mm. uh, anyway, but did you know, MJ, that George Saint George, pray for us, Saint George, was also <laughs> a big Joy Division fan? Did I did you know not that? know that. No, that's there exciting. is a clip. I might try and find it on YouTube. There's a clip of Tony Blackburn interviewing um, <laughs> no not Tony Blackburn no Tony Blackburn was, was there he wasn't interviewing but it was three people on the panel Tony mm. Blackburn George Michael and Morrissey who I used to love and now hate yeah there's no Morrissey on this desert island no. you um, let us down they, mate and they were talking about this mm. book that Paul Morley wrote uh, about uh, Joy Vision it came this so this interview was like 1984 or something mm. and um it was Robin Denslow from the BBC. He was doing the interview, and he said, oh, "George, I don't imagine you're very much of a Joy Division fan." And he said, "No, that's where you're wrong." And he told them about his favourite. Uh, so the, his favourite, one of his favourite uh, albums, is the second half of uh, Joy Division's second album, Closer or Closer. Uh, and he was going through it track by track about how much he loved it. So he's a yes! Joy Division fan. Nice. Uh, which meant that he was cool and he had really good taste in music, and he looked great in this video as well. Honestly. Yeah. Anyway. We will come back to George Michael. We're not completely leaving George Michael because he crops up later on. So no, that's right. be ready for that. In but we should surprise. move on. Perhaps we've known a nice segue to We're our doing second a segue. song, which I've, is, I've which made is a mo- big segue. This one is more for you because this is your obsession with this particular film, which I still haven't watched, yeah. but I might watch it tonight because no. I just so, really need to catch up here. It's on yeah. Amazon Prime now, I think. So mm-hmm. a film that I talk about a lot is my favourite film, Twenty Four Hour Party People. And so um, the song for this part of the playlist is uh, New Order, Perfect Kiss, which I'll talk about in a bit. But basically, uh, 24 Hour Pulse People is a film by Michael Winterbottom, starring Steve Coogan as Tony Wilson, who is one of the founders of this 
really famous record label called Factory Records. It's famous for lots of different reasons. First of all, they're famous for signing. Um, signing is not quite the right word, as I'll explain in a second, but they, uh, they were the record label of uh, Joy Division, who then later went on to become New Order after the death of Ian Curtis, but also mm. the Happy Mondays, uh, like two of the really big bands of the Manchester era, and lots of other bands as well who are really well-respected, including A Certain Ratio, um, another band with a very curious name called Crispy Ambulance, uh, which comes up in a Half Man Half Biscuit song, which I'll talk about later. Um, so I talk about this film a lot because it's it's kind of about music, but it's also about this brilliant story of Factory Records. Uh, mm. And I talk about it when we talk, whenever we're having conversations about ebbs and flows and uncertainty and how we deal with uncertainty. There's a small cameo where. Christopher Eccleston shows up in the film. You probably all heard me talk about this if you're fans of this show, I'm sorry. Uh, Christopher Eccleston turns up as a philosopher called Boethius, and he says, in, in a very mank accent, to Tony Wilson, who's having a very low moment, and he says, inconstancy is my very essence. There's a long quote about this. And, um, and it's, it's, so I'll talk about that there, about, you know, about uh. we have to, the... The dealing with like uncertainty is very difficult to deal with, but our life is constant is constantly moving. We are constantly there is yeah. inconstancy is our essence. So like you know that's the when we're talking about finding that tricky, that is life. That, you know that is that one of the things that makes life tricky. I love and you good. so much. I'm just having a moment. You're so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Um, so um, uh, I know there's a big crossover there with uh, so. Buddhism and 24-hour party people, it's, it's that it's crossover. Just, yeah, just the so, same stuff. <laughs> but one of the things I really love about the story of Factory Records, in particular that comes out in this film, is that, um, is that it, it's, there's also a lot about hierarchies and freedom, which is something else we talk about. Mm -hmm. So Tony Wilson basically was a TV presenter, like reporter for Granada News, uh, and he was also on Central News, which is, um, he appeared on Central News, which is... Um, the, the local news station that we had when I was growing up. Mm. And uh, I had no idea that he was also like, uh, ran this record label. And basically the, 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 the story is that they all went to this gig where they saw the Sex Pistols in uh, Manchester's Leicester Free Trade Hall. And everyone just found this like tremendous energy from seeing Sex Pistols. And, they want, and there was this like a synergy of people all together being like, okay, we could do something in Manchester. Mm. And Tony Wilson put his money into creating uh, Factory Records with a friend of his, Alan Erasmus, and also a couple of other people. And they said to, they went to this band, later known as Joy Division, and they said, look, we'll put your record out, because they were already like having like live events and stuff. And they said to Joy Division, we'll put a record out with you, we'll split the profits 50-50, Factory Records will have 50%, you, the band, will get 50%, which is an amazing deal. Mm. Um, and no one will own, we won't own it. So we'll just put it out and no one will own anything. And wow, they said, yeah. are you sure about that, Tony? And there's a scene in the film where he says, no, I'll, I'll sign it in my own blood. And basically the band, Joy Division, make him like sign this contract in his own blood, which basically says, <laughs> the end of it, is, it says, everyone has the freedom to fuck off. So, uh, nice. and they framed it in their office and stuff when they eventually <laughs> got an office. So, um, so this, this is it. We say like, this all the time. We say this all the exactly. time. You've got to have the you've got to have the freedom never to have sex. You've got to have the freedom yeah. not to have this relationship. You have to have the freedom to fuck off for it to be yeah. consensual. 
Yes. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, sometimes it doesn't make any sense why bands were wanting to make <laughs> yeah. records with factual records because it was pretty shambolic a lot of the time as well. But they were really, <laughs> their, their heart being in the right place was crucial to this entire endeavour. Um, mm. And they were checking in the bands would, uh, they would release these records. And these records were phenomenally huge. Like the first Joy Division album went massive. And mm. then when they became New Order, like New Order, like under factual records, sold millions and millions of, uh, of records. Sadly, um, they didn't really profit a lot from this because they also decided to set up what became known as the Hacienda, which is another important mm. part of the story. So the Hacienda was this famous nightclub in Manchester and basically Tony Wilson went to um, New York and saw like big like nightclub places like Studio 54, which were really popular in the 70s, like disco um, nightclubs. And he was like, I want to do this for Manchester and I want to, he, he, there's a quote in the film where it's like, when the Victorians made railway stations, they didn't just put up sheds, you know. And so mm. he wanted to create this incredibly elaborate and what turned out ruinously expensive <laughs> nightclub for everyone <laughs> to go to. <laughs> and he did, and he put basically put Manchester on the map. So, and it was like, mm. and it wasn't out of like ego for him. It was literally like, it was that he was wanting to do this big thing for the city and to bring things together bring everyone together, bring the music together, the place. And also it was one of the places in the UK that really invented like dance culture here, like, uh, and rave culture. It really, um, Hacienda had this like synergy kind of effect where it was a real hub of creativity, um, mm. very organically, but non-hierarchically as well. So although the record company failed really quite spectacularly uh, because they didn't own anything, so they had no assets to sell. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, that's good, but also, you know, bad for them. The, the legacy really um, lived on, and that's why I really love the film. And I, mm. so I love that it's got this kind of, like, um, radical kind of socialist uh, idea of, like, more, like, collective ownership, even though actually no one actually owned anything. Um, but... Um, also, I just love how hopeful it is. Like, mm. I love how they were just like, they were dreaming big and think, thinking, fuck it. And they were doing everything wrong, but because they were creating their own, an entirely new set of rules because they didn't know how to do the normative thing. So yeah. they were just like, well, sod it, we'll just do it this way. So they literally made like albums out of sandpaper. Uh, well, that was a situationist joke, actually. So the idea was that the first Deruti column album would be made out of sandpaper on the outside. And so every time you put the record in and out of your music collection, the sandpaper would destroy all your other records. All the other records. That's brilliant. Well, actually, what happened was the sand got inside the record sleeve and destroyed yeah, the record destroyed sleeve. Anyway, yeah. there's a lot of brilliant <laughs> stuff about it. So, so um, and that's what I really like about it. And that's what... I think that we kind of do that with our podcast and that's like the culture of podcasting is that yeah. if you've got an internet connection and the ability to record yourself, you can just put something out in the world and it's really liberating. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, and not everything has to make money, although please subscribe to our Patreon and buy our <laughs> Zines. Buy our book. Uh, but, and buy our book. Um, <laughs> but that's the, but yeah. that in terms of like, um, it, it really inspires me in that way as well. Uh, yeah. And I yeah. love it. And um, the so the clip, the video of, uh, that I've included here in the in the YouTube um, YouTube playlist is of New Order's "Perfect Kiss." Um, Tony Wilson thought that that was about HIV, but uh, they're not so sure about that. But um, mm. it's a cool video. Uh, Bernard Sumner's hair looks amazing. I kind of want to have his haircut, but I can't get a haircut at the moment, as you can no. see if you're watching this on video. Mm, I'm and doing my is, own. 
That is, uh, yeah, it looks good, yeah. actually. Thank you. <laughs> and that is Factory Records. Mm, so, awesome. Uh, yeah, and that film is 24-hour party people. Do watch yeah, it, it's amazing. I am, I am going to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my, my choices all sit, I seem to have a bit of an old hippie vibe going on um, mm-hmm. <laughs> with a couple of mine, um, but um, I've chosen Fleetwood Mac landslide for the next one mm-hmm. um but we have yeah i was thinking like what have we already mentioned on the podcast and this one we mentioned fleetwood mac when we talk about talked about breaking up the band mm-hmm. um in that pod- lit- podcast we literal so band. We, yeah yeah we talked about like how to do breakups but through a listen a listener question around how, mm-hmm. how do i go about breaking up my band um and that helped us to think about breakups as multiple levels of breakups and how they work you know in different contexts rather than just the kind of romantic relationship breakup which is something that we talk about is how you know we don't we don't have scripts for breakups for other kinds of relationships and perhaps we should do but also Mm -hmm. the scripts that we have for romantic relationships are very all or nothing which isn't very helpful Mm -hmm. and we could think about all the different things that we do um that we get from a relationship and how some of those might end without all of it ending Mm -hmm. um Anyway, so we mentioned Fleetwood Mac, but at that time I hadn't done my homework, but I knew there was something about breakups and Fleetwood Mac. Mm. Um, anyway, yes, there is. Um, so I read, <laughs> I read on the internet today. Yes, uh, the, it was Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham who joined into Fleetwood Mac, and that's when they became really popular. Mm-hmm. But they were also like, they were really volatile and at each other's throats. So there was a lot about relationship conflict in there. And also apparently the other folks in Fleetwood Mac at, Mac at the time, there was another another romantic couple who were about to break up and uh, Mick Fleetwood was also soon to be divorced um, so when they wrote the album Rumours which is one of their most famous ones um, all of these affairs and breakups and stuff were happening within the band and mm-hmm. the rumours that they were talking about in the songs were also like rumours that were actually happening about the band um, so yeah they're all about breakups um, did you want to say anything else or shall I carry on with the particular song? I literally, I don't, I'm, I know so little about Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> yeah, there are other band fine. breakups as well, aren't there? There was ABBA, wasn't there? The ABBA winner we also mentioned, yeah. yeah. But, and so again, they were like one where the, the relationships and the breakups were happening within the band. Um, I mean, if you're struggling for things to write about, writing about the demise of your own band and the relationships within the band is probably quite a good thing to write about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, Landslide, I checked, wasn't actually written about relationship tensions mm-hmm. or uh, it was, again, it was another one actually that was more about the tension with the record label. Um, so oh. kind of uh, kind of links with what we've already been talking about. about relation- In fact, all three so far, we've talked about the relationships with record labels. Yeah. Um, so Stevie Nicks, yeah, that uh, wrote this song right back where um, her first band wasn't picked up again. And she was writing about the, the the relationship with the record label. And she said she was looking out at the Rocky Mountains, pondering the avalanche in the Rocky Mountains and her own avalanche of how everything had come crashing down in terms mm. of that. Um, and so the, the kind of landslide in the song is about that. Mm. Um, um, so I think there's an interesting theme there about something. Again, it relates to the uncertainty that you were just talking about, something I'm really like thinking a lot about at the moment is how things things falling apart can be this opportunity um mm. obviously in relation to the pandemic um and my mm-hmm. favorite buddhist writer who has a book perma children about called thing when things fall apart and mm. it's like not at all about like it's good for things to fall apart for people because clearly it's not but i think mm. we've talked about in some of our covid19 podcasts about like what's the potential there for like when things are falling apart it can show that the foundations were really poor 
and that mm. it gives us a chance maybe to build some new foundations. And I've been thinking a lot during this time about our inner system, you know, mm. our, our own inner system, our family systems, our community systems, and then the much wider systems and structures out there and mm. how this could be seen as an opportunity of things have fallen apart, but they were built on very rocky foundations. Maybe we yeah. need brand new foundations. And obviously Black Lives Matter is a particular example of where it's drawing attention yeah. to the criminal justice system and mm-hmm. how completely it fails everybody, but mm-hmm. particularly black people. And mm-hmm. then, you know, this is what's been asked for is like, not just, uh, yeah, not just, um, re- you know, rethinking that system, but completely bringing it down and then mm-hmm. starting again with something different. And neoliberal capitalism, which results in people yes. living in a bad house, bad expensive housing with long commutes and uh, jobs where which they feel where people don't feel valued, and uh, you know all stuff we've talked about on in many other episodes. But yeah, the mm. there is this idea that construction is the only pos- is the only positive um, uh, the only positive way to do things, but destruction and ending things and bringing tearing things down is. Um, yeah. is often the the most appropriate, um, healthiest thing to do too. And um, it doesn't feel uh, great because I guess people like hold on to that idea that there was something and that it gave them some kind of solidity and certainty like we were mm. just talking about. But um, yeah, if it wasn't, steady, as you were saying, if it's not steady in the first place, then... And it relates back to fast love, because if we're building relationships on fast love, then the foundations are likely to be pretty shaky. And so could it be that we welcome these moments of like, oh, wow, this sure isn't working as well as we'd hoped. Which bits of this relationship, this family, this community might Mm. we need to bring down, you know, to have the the full landslide, the full avalanche on in order to rebuild those foundations. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics that uh, struck me in the song is like, well, I've been afraid of changing because I've built my life around you. Mm. But time makes you bolder. Even children get older and I'm getting older, too. And there's something in there about, yeah, like some someone building a relationship on poor foundations as in mm-hmm. building it all around the other person um, rather than a mutual one. And yeah, something about um, as as you get older, maybe you have to do these landslide moments when you see that that's what's happened in any of these systems from the macro right down to the micro. Boom. Big time. Yes. 100%. Yeah. That's so good, MJ. Thank you. Uh, that's my I'm, that's my contribution. I feel like I know less about the like the musico. Is that even a word? What's what's the thing when you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a muso musico. What is well, it when you're passionate about? It's a muso. Yeah, a yeah. muso. I'm, I'm not so good on the muso bit, but like my interpretations of the strong the songs may be strong because I've thought about the, it, lyric, the lyrics a lot. I find it difficult to pay attention to lyrics sometimes because my deafness mm. means that. Uh, so I'm deaf in one ear, and that, I find it really difficult to pick out lyrics. That's the thing that yeah. is common with people with uh, with deaf in one ear. Um, damn, I should have included a Beach Boys song because Brian Wilson was deaf in one ear. Anyway, <gasps> but have, no, no Beach Boys. I'm sorry about that, everyone. Um, but yeah, so uh, I don't really kind of go through lyrics in that kind of way, but um, I like to know the stories and That's also so cool. I think the. Um, Music for me is something which is like about the it's the whole story. It's the music and the lyrics and just also my mm. memories of it and what it means to me at that moment. So um, yeah, it's you know that's my kind of relationship to it really. I'm yeah, I really resonate my, with that. My battery's going again. Oh, never mind. It's um, uh, I'll, if there's a, if there's a weird jump, dear listener, it's because the battery on my recorder 
might go. Start I mean, with, we, we may end up dividing this into six songs and six songs because we're, we're definitely this giving is, each, each is, one uh, their time, which is completely is, right and proper. This is like factory records. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so the next one. Now, um, I, I think I must have mentioned this band quite a few times because they're my favourite band. You did. Um, I'm not, I so can't remember which podcast particularly, but you definitely mentioned them. So uh, it, it is like my favourite band. Uh, they're called Halfman Half Biscuit. I mention them a lot because they bring me a lot of joy, but they're completely antithetical to everything we talk about on the show. They're like... <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've, I've written in my notes, they like me are miserable buggers and they're quite snarky. Um, mm. And so it's... It's not the kind of it's not the kind of vibe that we'll go for on the show, but I'll explain a bit more about it. And there is this one song that I think is relevant. So, they uh, half and half biscuits started out as a, an unemployed post punk band, post punk band in the early eighties. Uh, they're from the Wirral, in oh. uh, which is near Mers- next to Merseyside, or on Merseyside. No, oh, anyway, sorry, sorry everyone on the Wirral, I've got that completely wrong. Um, and they started off doing like um, quite nostalgic. Um, well, they, they were punk, but they would do like kind of have like uh, very esoteric references to British sporting and cultural events, like people like Dickie Davies and Kendo Nagasaki. Um, so it's very esoteric um, mm. and uh, very specific, but also quite nostalgic, but also very anti-capitalist and particularly anti-Tory, anti-neoliberal. Uh, so the politics are really great, and over mm-hmm. the years they've become more of like a folk band. I mean, folk in they, mm. it's, the music sounds the same. It's still, you know, they're basically like a, a they, it's electric music, but it, they have like a folk element to their work, and so, and they set their sights on. They're, they're still they're quite a satirical band. They're kind of like the Hogarth of the indie punk scene, and um, and they kind of set their sights on inauthenticity and consumerism and I've put here mm. fashionable and entirely borrowed radicalism oh, uh, nice, bourgeois yeah. values and pseudo-intellectualism so it's like so and their cultural reference points nowadays are just so like spot on and they can kind of exp- they can sum up somebody brilliantly from one line mm. um, they've also got uh, completely uh, they also have their own individual beefs about um, a man who works at the local 24-hour garage uh, uh, people who keep a horse in the back of their car, which is making me chuckle, and middle-aged men in Lycra are wearing full Team Sky replica kit, because also, like me, he likes the sport of professional cycling, does Nigel oh, from half and half Oh, that's just perfect, right? It's right up my street. But, but it makes anyway. me think, what, what you just said makes me think that, yeah, there's a lot at the moment about performative um, politics versus authentic, yeah. so that sounds like that's pretty relevant to what they're talking about. Mm. In one of their in one of their best songs called "A Country Practice," the final uh, is it, kind of railing against everything that was happening at the end of the millennium and the new Labour years and uh, all this money being spent on the Millennium Dome. Which does anyone yeah. even remember that? And he was kind of ranting about there's a woman in a hospital bed um, and there's not enough money for the health service at the moment. Uh, I can't remember the exact line. And the last thing that she saw was Sting singing on the roof of the Barbican, and it's like. That, that, that those kinds of like really liberal bougie kind of reference points of trying mm. to make everyone like middle class and that you know things can only get better and that you know yeah and the line go up and we're all going to live happily ever after and they saw it and it was like this is bollocks and mm. they still see it and i really um i love that about them but there's yeah. one song that i like about them from their last album no one cares about your creative hub so get your fucking hedge cut that is the name of their album amazing <laughs> 
amazing album name, um, called A Man of Constant Sorrow uh, with A Man of Constant Sorrow with a Garage and Constant Use. And basically, he writes this song which is really uh, full of pathos about this man who's incredibly sad and never speaks to mm. anyone. Uh, and he's constantly pottering around in his garage and you know it's completely closed off from the world it's a really beautiful kind of melancholia uh, and there's also a melancholia of the neighbor who would like to connect with him uh, mm. but the line is he's got nothing for you to borrow and a mastiff from the back running loose he's a man of constant <laughs> sorrow with the garage in constant use it's like it's really beautiful wow that's gorgeous so i kind of hope that the work mm. that i do and the work that we do would as much reach out to this man of constant sorrow with his garage and constant use as it would to, you know, like the everyone else who listens to us, like um, yeah. sociologists and therapists and stuff, you know. And uh, oh, he's pottering around, but he's got Meg John and Justin in the background. Yeah, yeah. I would like for yeah. him. To, I'd like to think that you know he could listen to our th- our episode about sadness, for example, and go, oh yeah, I've not really ever been able to be. I've never been allowed to be sad with people, and you know, yeah. but, you know, my upbringing was that I was never allowed to cry, and the, yeah, maybe that is why I'm quite sad, and you know, maybe I could do some work on that. You know, I would like to think that we could reach out to that guy. I'd like to give the mastiff a cuddle, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Can't hurt, can it? No, especially because <laughs> there's not been many cuddles during this time. <laughs> like dogs no. are great. Anyway, yes. Yes, we're still in lockdown. Oh, we are. Sorry, yes. That's, we're, in yeah. bubble, we're in bubble lockdown now, so it is more yeah. possible to get cuddles. I am bubbled but, yeah. with some dogs, actually, to be fair, so I am getting dog cuddles and a few human ones now. That's nice. Yeah. So, completely switching. Yeah. Switching like, tack switch gear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one I've chosen is Janelle Monet's song, Screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, Janelle Monet is a black queer feminist singer, songwriter mm-hmm. and actor who's in the films Moonlight and Hidden Figures, both excellent watches. Um, and um, I included the next graphic guide I've got coming out. I do these comic books um, with uh, Jewel Shiel. And the next mm-hmm. one of those is on sexuality. And I came across this song while I was listening to it anyway. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a perfect song to mention in that book um, mm. because... Um, it, the lyrics sounded familiar to me and it's that she's quoting Oscar Wilde. So Oscar Wilde mm. said, everything in the world is about sex, except sex. Sex is about power. And Monet's, li- yeah. and Monet's lyrics go, see, everything is sex, except sex, which is power. You know, power is just sex. You screw me and I'll screw you too. Everything is sex, is sex except sex is power. You know, power is just sex. Now ask yourself who's screwing you. So she's using the word screwed in these multiple meanings during the song. Yeah. And it's a lot about um, everyone who's getting screwed in America. And it's a lot about being screwed as a woman, as a black person, as a queer person and the power of that. Um, but it also um, has this sense of taking ownership of your own body and your own sexuality in it. Mm. So I read a bit online about the whole um the whole album this is from dirty computer saying Mm -hmm. that you know the lyrics are meant to be you know the songs are meant to be quite fun and quite light and uplifting but Mm. it's also about monet coping with her anger watching the rights of women and black people and queer Mm. people being trampled on in um, america at the moment um so yeah there's sort of this double meaning of screwed of like how power screws us but also how somehow the sense of reclaiming power through our sexualities um or you know, like resisting our sexualities also being policed could be something, a, p- a powerful thing. That is really powerful. Mm. Um, 
I heard this, I was listening to the song, I have heard OK, com, uh, not OK Computer, Dirty Computer a yes. few times, <laughs> OK Computer by Radiohead. Yes. I heard this <laughs> yeah. Computer a few times and um, uh, and it's in, it's really poppy. It's like, yeah. like she really knows how to write a pop song and that's well, one this of the is things why I like, that, This is why I like it because yeah. I, you know, I prefer a pop song personally to a more difficult um, kind of, any, any kind of more difficult music, challenging but that music. is powerful in and of itself, isn't it? Yes. That somebody can write the, the write such brilliant songs which uh you know sound immediately like you know you could hear it on the radio and it's like quite upbeat yeah. and then it's saying something as powerful as this yeah and when and you listen to the lyrics it's like that's what's going on or when you read about the meaning behind it absolutely it's really smart and um, i just thought yeah like it really relates to the the themes that we talk about a lot about kind different kinds of sex normativity and mm. you know this this whole sex and power thing um i mean the philosopher foucault talked a lot about about this about how sexuality was policed you know and these kind of normativities around sexuality being utterly linked to structures and systems of power and keeping people very keeping people very focused on in on themselves um mm. you know feeling monitoring all the themselves. shame yeah mm. like monitoring themselves and particularly in the arena of sexuality you know we're given such clear ideas about what's normal and what's abnormal that mm. we should be having sex of a certain type all the time that in certain relationship concept concepts uh, contexts so there's this real sense of like individual people like in this private sphere policing mm. themselves and spending a lot of their time and energy on yeah like becoming sexual entrepreneurs and you know kind of yeah. crafting their sexuality and crafting their relationships in this very private zone and therefore not looking out there to like all of the all of the problems out there and what they should be doing about it but also mm-hmm. yeah not seeing that the thing that's making them miserable about sex are the is the power that's you know of these discourses yeah. or these normativities does that kind of capture big, it yeah yeah big time and the mm. um that also, I guess the the other thing there is that people have sex for different reasons, don't they? And yeah. That, there, that you know that um, uh, our book was called "Enjoy Sex How, When, and If You Want to," but the but people people may have sex in order to have a pleasurable experience, but there are other different meanings for people around sex, mm. that, and and power is one of them. But also, with unless we look at power, like interpersonal power, we can never really understand consent. So we talk about yeah. power in that sense as well. But also, as you're saying, this uh, the normativity thing, the idea of there being a common sense way of thinking about how we're meant to do things is incredibly powerful and does a number on us all the time. Yeah, and I guess that other way, way of thinking about sex and power, just how much sex is used against people, um, mm. Uh, in terms of people doing non-consensual things and harassment and abuse as a way of power over, whether that's in the context of, like, relationship abuse or Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, like, how black bodies are treated or whether Mm. that's in terms of, you know, sort of Me Too and people Mm -hmm. being sexually harassed and the way, yeah, all those things come together. But those things happen... um uh, in collusion with the normative messages as well, don't they? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Really often, you know, like the, um, the and the normative messages create the create the environment in which uh, those individual assaults happen, which is not to explain away um, uh, perpetrators' uh, violence, but that is the culture that we're living in that that mm. means that um, that unless that before Me Too happened, a lot of sexual assaults weren't being reported because the the, the power existing in the world was with uh, heterosexual men who were, who were quite happy to use their power to cover up crimes they were committing. Um, 
Let's let's do. You're doing the next two, aren't you? Well, should we mix it up? I was just thinking. I'd like, like, yeah, maybe <laughs> this is on the on the hop. But I think if we did one of yours shift next, that one down. yeah, yeah, I'll do the shifting. You can get started on your next one, I'll do which the next was one. Kendrick Lamar. Go and do Kendrick. So this is uh, this is a big one. Um, so I've been listening to Kendrick for a about three or four years, my girlfriend put me onto him, and uh, I think he's in- absolutely incredible. And the song that I want to do is uh, DNA, which is from his last album, Damn. Now it's complicated because this is kind of about two songs, because it's also about the song All Right. Um, mm. uh, so um, DNA starts with a quote from Fox News, a couple of presenters on Fox, Fox News, apparently they're quite famous in America, but it, um, uh, and they were basically calling out Kendrick Lamar for his views on police brutality. That's actually one of the quotes. And they were trying to make an argument in the kind of the way that right-wing, white right-wing press do, uh, news mm. do, is to say that rap, and particularly black culture, with, and this thing, the idea, this idea, this really racist idea of like the, the culture of poverty um, is actually one of the things that causes racism. That the problems of that you know the problems for uh, black people are somehow like internalized and only ever caused by black people, and that there is no structural um, mm. inequality going on. That black communities and black individuals need to pull themselves by the bootstraps. It's awful. Yeah. So what he does. Uh, so uh, this quote references another lyric from a previous song called All Right. And this is a really mm. important song, so I need to talk about this as well. But the lyric is, and we hate Popo, want a killer's dead in the street for sure. And that was, so this is his album that came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. And the main refrain of the song is, we're going to be all right. I'm not going to try and wrap any of this because I can't. <laughs> It'll be massively inappropriate. But, <laughs> this is it. but we're going to be all right was sung at Black Lives Matter protests in 2015. And it was kind of like seen as almost like a, a new version of We Shall Overcome, which was um, yeah. like the, the, a hymn being civil sung rights, at civil yeah. rights protests in the mm. 1960s. And it was a really powerful moment of like collectivity and sense of um you know when people are on a protest it's you are literally there collectively with a lot of other people and you get that you you get a real sense of you know of what of not being of not acting alone that the power of being in a community and the power of people who have got your back and you've got and they've got you've got their back they've got your back and you're standing together solidarity and we're going to be all right was like um something which gave everyone comfort and security and power in the in the light of horrible the the horrible attacks on protesters that were happening then and you know it's happening now as well mm-hmm. um so um so it's complicated now so that's all right the song that i'm talking about is dna so he so kendrick samples what these fox news presenters say at the beginning of this and then and then dna goes on to be this really angry righteously angry rebuke to this quote from these right-wing commentators and it's and it's a rebuke to this idea of the of the cult, of culture of poverty and the the problems of black people situated in black communities and i'm just going to read out a quote from a book um from black lives matter to black liberation by mm. kianga yamata taylor which is excellent it's such an amazing book which i've read in the last couple of weeks um 
And the quote is just to give you this context uh, mm-hmm. of this idea is uh, as the movement receded in the, ni- the cult- as the civil rights movement receded in the 1970s, and as a bi- bipartisan political attack on the welfare state gained traction, the mantra of the culture of poverty and personal responsibility re-emerged as popular explanations for black deprivation. Today, the various problems that pervade black communities are largely believed to be of black people's own making. So DNA, this song, is a really angry rebuke of that. And it's one of the most powerful yeah. rap songs you'll ever hear. It's got incredible flow. It, 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 there is a, flow is like, uh, for people who don't know the, the, the language of rap, it's like a, a syntax. It's like um, different rhythms throughout. And to have many different flows is the sign that someone is an incredible rapper. And there are so many flows. And there's one particular flow in this, yeah. which is um, it's almost like he doesn't breathe for 37 seconds or so. It's like, it's like, it's just line after line after line after uh-huh. line. It comes out so fast that I can't do it. You've got to listen to it, uh, dear listener. Uh-huh. Um, but basically the, the content of the, of the thing is interesting to me because basically it's very political and we're all about that, you know. Um, uh-huh. But also it's really biopsychosocial. So he talks about DNA and so he's talking uh-huh. about how there's nothing in my, he's kind of saying, there's nothing in, dime, in my DNA that makes me lesser than you. Like the first line of it is, I've got, uh, I've got loyalty and royalty inside my DNA. It's like, this is, you know, this is who we mm. are. This is who I am. I am no worse than you. And it's like that. It's addressing, first of all, this idea that there is a biological explanation, this awful racist idea of like uh, phrenology. E- eugenics kind of, yeah. Like, eugen- mm. Yeah. But also the whole song then becomes a, uh, a thing of, I've overcome all this police violence and all these massive disadvantages in my communities from Compton and LA. But then mm. also he's talking about the, the racism and the societal aspects and the socio-political um, element to it. Yeah. Um, and so he mixes up the, the bio and the psycho and the social. It's really like, mm. it's, it's what we do. It's like, it's to, to understand that you can't tease those things apart yeah. uh, and that they, they all come together. And to be, to be read as black is to be read in this biopsychosocial way. And people kind of like have tried to, te- to, to take away the bio and the psycho and the social together in order to do racism uh, towards black people. Yes. And, actually, and the song is like, no, mm. we're all of this, and it's happening yeah. in spite of the racism, in spite of the violence, and and it's the focus is on him rather than the black community necessarily. But the the song is such a a, a perfect rap song, and it's got he's throwing it's throwing everything at it, and it, it's kind mm. of also going back to the way I also understand it. I'm not an expert on rap, but the way I understand it is that is that this song is actually quite an old school type of song. It's like, it's mm. going back to the days of like, being able to just really, um, being really, it's really virtu- virtuoso, virtuoso kind of rap. And it's really, um, it's like, bah, really in your face. And every time I listen to it, I'm like breathless and kind of out of breath at the end because uh, cool. it gives me, it gives me goosebumps because just as a song, it's absolutely incredibly powerful. and. And that's the that's one of the amazing things just about uh, art and creativity is that um, you know like a four minute song you can say so much and yeah. um, and I just love it it's so good but also um, all right mm. the song that I was referencing as well is absolutely amazing it's really it's sad and soulful and um, really real and the video for that is just amazing mm. and really powerful so um Kendrick Lamar wow I mean yeah like 
this next one for me is like what you're ta- how you're talking about how music can impact you i think it's the one on the playlist that does that to me the most which is mm. um another hippie one <laughs> both sides now <laughs> by Joni mitchell i mean i d- i was it's interesting i didn't uh, my parents didn't listen to fleetwood mac or Joni mitchell particularly but it's that era of songs that definitely my folks mm. listen to that they passed on to me so i do have like a relationship to that kind of music um, as well as to to Motown as well, like I listened to that a lot um, mm. as a, a young person. It felt like the first music that I got to into independently, which was also from around that era. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, for me, like, interestingly, my music is of an era like the previous generation's era, really, rather than my own generation often. Mm. Um, but, yeah, both sides now I've got into recently and it's so sad. It's like really sad and it really speaks to me personally because what basically she has three verses in the song one about one about clouds one about love and one Mm. about life and in both of them she says you could see clouds or love or life this way or you could see them that way Mm. and the first way is the kind of illusion of them the kind of pretty illusion of clouds or love or life and the second way is kind of how they really are maybe or, Mm. or a more negative view of them Mm-hmm. And then she, then the chorus is, you know, um, that I've I've looked at them from both sides now, um, and it's still the illusion that I recall, but I really don't know them at all, and I I think, for me that the the one the one about love particularly, but maybe also life. There's just this real sense of like, wow, I've spent my life exploring these themes around mm. love and life, and you know how to love and how to do life. And I think, you know, um, there is that sense in me of like, I still don't know it at all. You know, every Mm. time I go around it personally or every time I go around writing about it or talking about it on the podcast, I'm still learning more. And there's still, Mm. you know, there's a real deep sadness for me that the cultural messages that we receive around this stuff is so strong that, you know, as we say, you can't Mm. step outside of culture. Mm. And I'm still kind of seeing the illusion. I'm still maybe operating from those scripts like Joni Mitchell was. Mm. And, you know, there's just this, yeah, like a deep, deep sadness. Um, and I guess, again, it relates to everything else we're talking about here, like just just how hard it is to dismantle the systems or to do something mm. different. Uh, I think that that's what comes across to me in this song. Um, mm. So it makes me sad um, mm. in a really good way. Mm. But but I also think you could read it in a more optimistic way, which also mm. relates to a big theme that we often have on here, which is about thinking about things in non-binary ways, because this whole theme, both sides now, it's like you can look at the clouds as ice cream cap- castles in the air, or you mm-hmm. can look at clouds as the thing that ruins your day because it's raining. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can look at love as like the fairy tale come true, or you can look at it as kind of giving giving something to somebody in order to be what they want or taking mm. something from somebody in that kind of objectifying way you can mm. look at life you know as kind of a dream or as just living every day and you know what happens if we embrace the bothness of this mm. if we see the potential of love to open up you know that kind of potential for an amazing connection and intimacy with another person but also mm. the potential of love to just fall into conflict and um you know objectifying somebody for your own gain or vice versa mm. um yeah like i really like that you know and I, I love the the metaphor of clouds at the beginning for that it's like they are both they are this absolutely beautiful mm. thing and I, I have this view now with a really big sky and I'm always like looking at the clouds and finding them absolutely stunning and noticing how mm. they're ever changing and all in their all their different forms they're absolutely beautiful 
you know, and they're the thing where you just look up and you see the white grey sky and you think, oh, that's a bit shit, you know, wish it was sunny. And it's like, mm. there's the bothness of it. Um, so, yeah, I think this song for me has it all. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. Gosh. It evokes strong feelings. And, you know, there's a, you could just sit with... You could sit with it like a koan, you know, you could just keep sitting yeah. with each verse and just like keep d- delving into like, what does it mean to think, see things from both sides now? And how much are we able to do that? Wow. Boom. That's really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, next one from me is an artist called Mitch Cota. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing her name properly. I've n- it's one of those, she's one of those artists I've never heard anyone mm. but me talking about her. So. <laughs> um, but she's really good. So I first saw mm. her um, as the first act supporting someone else. I went to see a band and they had two support acts on and literally uh, went downstairs, got a pint, came upstairs and she just started uh, playing. And usually for like the first act of a show, yeah. no one's really properly paying attention. But for this one, I've never seen anyone be so present and so um, in awe of an artist ever in any gig I've ever been to. I've been to a lot of gigs. Mm. She's got this incredible stage presence, amazing, amazing voice, and everyone's completely transfixed by her. I didn't know anything about her at all. And the songs are kind of like, they're disco-y, little bits of techno elements, but very melodic, really uplifting. You can definitely dance to them. It's like really nice vibe, but she's really like, you, you, the, the lyrics you can hear, you can tell it come from a place of like trauma and also like resistance and overcoming. And it's like, oh, mm. there's something going on here. So I bought her album. You can, at these gigs, you can often buy their records. I bought uh, the LP. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that she is, um, again, I don't know how to pronounce this word, but she is a two-spirit Algonquin woman, mm. which is a native population known as Quebec in Canada. And yeah. so uh, then I worked out, oh, she's, so she's singing in, she's part of singing in English and she's part of singing in, in Algonquin. Yeah. Um, and doing, uh, just doing a bit more reading about uh, my favourite song from there, which is the one that we've got here, which is mm. uh, Keisha, or hashtag, uh, not Keisha slash Care, it's called Care, mm-hmm. um, which is a song that she wrote in protest of the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is yeah. uh, something she was resisting. And I remember her singing this over and over again, and it became like, so it's a song of resistance and a song of, like, you know, protest. It's just so like beautiful and uh, and something really joyful about it, and really like really really affirming about the whole mm. album. Mm. And it's one of the. It's a bit like Janelle Monae, you know. It's like heavy stuff in there, but it's like really uplifting, powerful, yeah. and life affirming. It's incredible. I, mm. uh, it's um, such an amazing album. So I, do, it, I think it's on Spotify and everything. And I've put the mm. The, we've got a link on YouTube to the single that I was talking about, but anyway, Mitch Cota, uh, and it really is like, um, you know, we talk, you know, we're, we're talking about on the podcast, we talk about um, uh, oppression and intersectionality, and uh, you know, so we're talking mm. about um, an Aboriginal um, trans woman uh, singing, you know, singing disco pop techno songs. So you know, this is right, you know, just. In mm. terms of her identity, she's you know right in our wheelhouse of people that first of all uh, we talk about. Um, obviously, we talk about uh, uh, 
intersectional oppressions all the time, but also uh, we want to we also want to amplify people like this and also mm. it happens to be an amazing album uh, that I yeah. came across entirely by accident and it's one of those times where sometimes it, I do I don't I don't I don't believe in I don't I'm not very spiritual but sometimes you know there there are there are these like coincidental things that happen that you know the, the circumstances in which Mitch Cota was like put into my life you know it was yeah. like felt really if literally, if I'd have missed the bus, I'd have missed her act, you know. Yeah. And um, so it was. Uh, I was really grateful and thankful, and it feels like that. I that um, it feels a really fortunate kind of. Um, feel very fortunate that uh, I got to hear her. Hear her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to be speaking about that particular intersection at the moment as well around settler colonialism and around race and around transness and yeah thinking about what's currently going on in in all those kind of areas it feels like it brings yeah like she's bringing all of that together i mean Mm. it's really incredible that uh, you know she wrote the album a couple of years ago so this was still live then too right and um it's just amazing that see that I don't know whether I should be amazed by this or not, but just that someone can create such beauty uh, mm. out of um, out of, a, out of a situation where there is such precarity and such scarcity of compassion and humanness towards you know from a society. Well, this is what I think individuals. about. It's, yeah, I mean, this is what I think about the the UK at the moment in or in the last few years. Like, look at all the incredible trans creatives. Yeah. who've come out in that period of time you know it's like an umber for a small island like the number of incredible like trans memoirists and writers mm-hmm. and artists and like it's just like you, you know you that start is. naming them I start I started trying to include them in the gender graphic guide and I couldn't fit everybody in you know yeah. it's like there would be no way and that's not to say you know I think you know it's so it's so important not to buy into any kind of um notion that somehow individuals can can and should like be able to escape the suppression yeah. and like somehow we should we should particularly glorify individuals mm. who have managed to when it's just grinding and, and horrific for everybody else it's like we've got to be really careful with that stuff but yeah um, just like with I the do, Kendrick stuff it's yeah, yeah it's it's um but it is but it is interesting how this you know incredible creativity has come out of a situation of so much pain of the trans moral panic in this country that we have so amazing so many amazing particularly like working class trans voices and voices of trans people of color who are like literally the most marginalized and most at risk just Mm. yeah incredible Mm. i guess the the broader i guess the the critique of uh i mean we're talking about a music playlist and we're talking about um and we're talking about people creating uh incredibly entertaining music uh, in spite of and because of their oppressions when we're talking about Kendrick and, and Mitch Kota and a lot of people actually on mm. this list but the um, but there is that thing of that you know that uh, you know the historically the the kinds of uh, jobs and the kind of power that we can afford people are, are those which are uh, for you know, the particular thing about black people that you you only get to be brilliant if you're like a basketball player or a rapper. Yeah. You know that that kind of. I mean, 
there have been black people in positions of power. For example, we've had Obama as president, but Black Lives Matter began under an Obama presidency that, that had subsequently let down uh, black communities by not doing enough to prevent police violence or to to dismantle the structural system that where uh, black people are overly represented in poor communities. Um, but uh, I guess there is this broader thing about that there has to mm. be ways of um, valuing um, and creating, there isn't enough space for people who are oppressed to be uh, represented and to have power in different walks, in lots of different walks of life. Yeah. So that's, that's the only thing I'm saying here. And that's the, I think it's that's really important. Work, isn't it? Such an like issue. How many, just, yeah. how many black academics are there? You know, like how many you know, black school teachers are there? How many black cabinet members are there? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and so it's that, uh, there's a couple of things going on there. Precisely, and there's some similar issues around disability that, again, you only Big get time. to see, like, yeah, like Paralympians, like, and, 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 and that sense yeah. that you have, to, and that sense that you have to be so good to have any kind of recognition, like, beyond, yeah. way beyond what anybody else would have to be, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. <sighs> so, next one that I chose is mm-hmm. um, Feeling Good by Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have picked any song by Nina Simone. Yeah. <laughs> like they're all incredible. Um, so I mean, it, in some ways, it relates to to themes around oppression. So I looked into the kind of backstory of this song, and it was actually it was actually written by British songwriters um, oh. who for their stage musical, which is called "The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd," and it's an allegorical music musical about power and class, class and race. And the song is the song that the black character sings in the show after winning in the face of racism. I okay. mean, I, I don't know how great that musical is nowadays. <laughs> sort of no, like yeah. have a few <laughs> worries about what that's, what that's likely to be like. Um, but it certainly was written to express a kind of euphoric, euphoria that comes with liberation from oppression. That was the mm-hmm. idea of the song. Right. And it got picked up and covered by Nina Simone, um, who is obviously right. awesome, um, and became, yeah, became a really important song um, in terms of kind of civil rights in America. Mm. Um, but I and the the little um, extra George Michael moment is that apparently he also did a cover of this song, uh, which I haven't heard yet. But I will go on to to listen to that. So a few people have covered it over time. Yeah. Um, but I chose it more because it relates to our Joy podcast. So yeah. one of the things we talk about a lot is we take this biopsychosocial approach to feelings mm-hmm. um, on the podcast, and we go through many many feelings, and we're going we're planning to do several more. Um, mm-hmm about uh yeah like how how can we stay with feelings but also how are they important socially how can we use feelings to drive us towards social justice for example mm-hmm. um and i think you know obviously there's a kind of backstory of that with this song um and it really makes me think of the word work, work of people like audrey lord and adrienne marie brown yeah. which we've also mentioned on the podcast um pleasure activism and the importance of the erotic and joy and pleasure and like how tuning into our joy can motivate us to say this should be the standard of experience you know mm. everybody should have this um mm. and we we shouldn't accept oppression because we see you know what's possible in terms of pleasure and creativity and mm. joy and erotic potential um mm. so yeah um so although you know anger and sadness and shame and fear are all important emotions to consider in this mm. field we have also emphasised the importance of joy and pleasure. Yeah. Mm. So important. And fe- feeling good. 
Yeah, and increasing the the capacity for everyone to feel good. That's the that's the that's what politics is, or it's what politics should be. That we need to and more evenly distribute the opportunities for joy for everyone. Precisely, and that um, and like for me, like if you're going to listen to us, if you want to listen to a song to just really feel sad, then both sides now is a really good one. But I would challenge you to listen to this song and not feel good. You know, it's like yeah. it just captures you know all the things to feel good about. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Butterfly flying by, you know how I feel. It's just that absolutely um, total yeah. banger. It's total banger, and it's and, and there's a lot about nature in there as well. So I guess it relates to climate activism as well. There's this real mm. sense of like we have to we have to look after this planet that is the thing that can really make us feel good, even when nothing else can. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. my thoughts on that one. Uh, next band, uh, Charismatic Megafauna. Uh, that again, they're a band that I saw kind of by accident. They're an art band. They're like an art show. But mm. it's amazing. Um, show <laughs> keyword here is show <laughs> and um, so I've got a quote that explains them um, that kind of sums them up really well their, the quote is their grubby synth sound is shot through with surrealist feminist and sexual undertones as lyrics traverse everything from female ejaculation to blokes in spandex or their general disdain for Theresa May Sadly, the Theresa May song is really, really good. <laughs> but it's probably a bit dated now. And also, we don't yeah. want to be reminded of Theresa May. Um, oh, really? But they're... Uh, so, I just really like them. Uh, and I just wanted to include them. Um, mm. And I think that they have listened to, the, to our podcast as well. So, I think they know about us. And um, uh, everything that they, they do is, you know, everything that they sing about, everything that they're about is very much like what is what we talk about and um, uh, I think all I've got to say about Charismatic Meg 4 is that I really like them and if anyone's yeah. going to do our theme tune that it should be Charismatic Megafauna, I think <laughs> I, I would I would maybe go with Grace Petrie for our theme tune like if okay. I was going to mention if I was going to mention a singer in a similar way like um, uh-huh. and we haven't included that but I will include on the, so- the show notes um, Grace uh, does songs about gender um mm-hmm. and black tie is the one really worth looking at okay um and it, it's got really amazing lines i'm just trying to get the lyrics up as we're as we're talking <laughs> um but it's you know it's all about this current moment particularly in relation to gender she, uh, she says like i didn't think the year t- the year 2018 i didn't think we'd still be sorting babies into blue and pink Mm. Um, and she talks about the kind of narrow set of rules that just don't work for so many of us around gender but my favourite line is like and the images that fucked you were a patriarchal structure and you never oh. will su- and you never will surrender to a narrow view of gender oh. amazing oh yeah and it's a bloody nightmare trying to fight the spread of bigotry and fear that's united Pier- Piers Morgan and Jermaine Greer Ooh. yeah I'm going to put this that's one as good. an extra yeah, yeah, it's yeah, really good. That's great. Thank you for including yeah. that one. It's really great. So yeah, if it was like somebody who actually might listen to our podcast and right. um, somebody who we would want to write the theme tune, like, yeah. maybe we can have two, one by Charismatic Megafauna and one by Grace Petrie. I think what will probably happen is that we'll just keep doing our shambolic uh, theme tune, which is just us introducing yes. the that's what, of the that's show. what will actually happen. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we've got two more. These are both uh, more like both of us, aren't they? Um, yes. 
but I'll start on. I'll start them. So this next one is Martin Creed. Right. You might know Martin Creed. nobody's watching. Um, being an artist, uh, Martin Creed is a Turner Prize-winning artist. Um, mm. And I kind of didn't know that before I heard him. I heard him on Radio Six once on Six Music, and I was like, "Oh, this sounds good." And I went to see him live, and for someone who is a world-famous artist, uh, he also plays like little music gigs and hardly anyone shows up to his music gigs like I've literally seen him where there have been six people in the room and he and he'll yeah. play he literally uh, uh, played a song I once has anyone got any requests and I said would you play this one and he said yeah okay I'll play that one so it's very strange to see someone so famous nice. but also not famous uh, which mm. is interesting so this song is Thinking Not Thinking and uh, we've talked about this a few times whenever we discuss binaries, but also particularly when we're discussing endings. And uh, yeah. it's a thing I've talked about a few times uh, about another artist. Uh, actually, it was very similar to Martin Creed. They're both, um, Martin Creed is probably, uh, is a, a Dadaist, I would say. Marcel Duchamp, the, 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 I guess the creator of Dadaism, or one of the leading members of Dadaism at the beginning of the 20th century, I guess. Um, but uh, he had, yeah. Marcel um, Duchamp basically moved into his first flat in Paris and he asked a joiner to remove the doors to the kitchen and the bathroom and instead replace it with one door, which would simultaneously open the kitchen door whilst closing the bathroom door and vice versa. So one door is literally opening and closing another door. So it's one door doing two things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really like about thinking, not thinking, is that when you're like, uh, this sounds a bit philosophical, I am not a philosopher at all, I probably don't understand this, but when you're thinking, you're not thinking, when you're not thinking, you're thinking, it's two, you're doing, <sighs> by doing one thing, you're not doing, you're, you, you, one, one thing is a condition of the other. And so we kind of talk about this when we're talking mm. about, like the, when we're, whenever we talk about binaries, which is quite a lot, but also if we're talking about um, endings, that literally instead of one mm. door closing and then the door that, another door opens, the door that closes opens, the, op- yeah. simultaneously opens the door. And that's what yeah. I kind of like about that. Like but every death really... is also birth. Yeah, every ending is also beginning. Every death is also birth, like seeing all of that in the same place. Yeah. Exactly. I also really like the song. The video yeah, is cute great. because it has the largest dog breed and the smallest oh, dog yes. breed. And they're trying oh, to the corral them. But yeah. also, we saw Martin Creed live, didn't we? We did together, I, but... and I, I wasn't so familiar, so it was really good. And yeah, I think, and it's also the thinking, not thinking feels a bit like a mindfulness kind of idea of yeah. like, you you know, you label your thoughts, you watch them go like clouds, which relates mm-hmm. it back to the... Um, the both sides now but we talk a lot about being present and how difficult that is when you have yeah. all of the cultural messages that kind of create this inner critic inside that kind of shames us all the time so yeah. it's like this relates to that kind of idea of how how can you be present to everything that's mm-hmm. around and every moment in sex or every aspect of a relationship yeah big time and we yes. talk about that all the time uh, and the cultural messages that me too. Um, Hello, I'm seeing somebody happened. in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's Nora. Um, you're, you're, on, you're on the Zoom there. Oh hell! That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> okay, so final song, mm. and you're not allowed to talk through this, Nora. This is my podcast. You've got I, you do your do you, own I podcast. I mean, would, would would Nora have any thoughts on music? I don't know that that's really uh, Nora's. Yeah, it's not her thing, it? really, is it? No. <laughs> Also, she's been to see this group as well, so um, oh she's God. a huge fan. Oh yeah, but anyway, okay. yes. So, so well, this is. I mean, we do love Salt and Pepper, 
obviously, yes. but we do kind of hate this song. <laughs> I really <laughs> because, do. <laughs> because, because it's just so, so kind of always anything about sex has this song, Let's Talk About Sex, as yeah. the kind of theme tune they want. Yeah, like you've, you've actually been asked, you've actually had it played, haven't you, to yeah. announce I, I you. Did. Yeah. Years ago, I did like an event, which was where they had sting music or zing music. I don't know what it's called. And they said, is it okay if we play a bit of music for you to come on? And there'll be a round of applause. Mm. I'm like, all right, fine. As I said, as long as it's not Let's Talk About Sex by Salt and Pepper. And they said, no, yeah. no, it won't be that. And I came on and the music, <laughs> please welcome, please welcome everyone, Justin Hancock. I said, Let's talk about sex, baby. I'm like, uh... and the, the, the audience stopped clapping. The music died down. I said, in a very grumpy, surly way. Uh, I did say I was going to walk off if they played Let's Talk About Sex by Salt and Pepper and everyone laughed and I was like semi-serious. Really. <laughs> yes, <laughs> non-consensual. Yeah, it's non-consensual. Like you also, literally I, gave them your hard limit and they decided <laughs> they'll just like go over that publicly. Right? Yeah, so that's my no. main memory of, yeah. of that. But also, um, I think the thing for me that is kind of sad about it is that the song doesn't really say a great deal about talking about it apart from saying that it's that we should talk about it. Might. Yeah. Okay. Um, but also, um, it's a kind of a sad reminder to me that when did that come out? Like late 80s, early 90s? That mm. we're still not talking about sex properly yeah. or seriously. And the only ways that we can talk about sex are either sex negativity, that it's a bad thing, or this unalloyed sex positivity that everyone should be doing it, you know, like we talked about with um, mm. I Want Your Sex. And. Um, and the, the assumption that sex is naturally pleasurable for everyone without talking about actually that no it's not and asexuality I mean, is a thing and absolutely to be fair yeah. they do say let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that yeah. may be but um, yeah. yeah it doesn't really get beyond that binary of sex negativity no. sex positively <laughs> push yes. it is the best push it song it's a really good song yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I like push it definitely um, yeah so if we ever me and Meg John do an event with you dear yeah. listener please don't do, let's talk about sex. Or no. Just have a, a consent chat with us about us. About what song stuff. we would like. In fact, you now have 13 Several. slash 14 different songs to choose from. It'd be the Muppet Show, wouldn't it? Let's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, it, uh, I really probably should just come on to, uh, the most personal brand thing for me to do would be to come on to a Halfman Half Biscuit song. <laughs> would really, yeah. I don't think everyone would get that. And I'm not going to join you. That would no. it's not so meaningful to me. Just pick no. some kind of weird hippies, hippie 60s song from me, apparently. <laughs> there are only about four people in the world I know who would who would enjoy me talking about half the <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope they all listen to this podcast because they did yeah. get a good five minutes of that yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah I'll email them. <laughs> so... Um, that's it then, isn't it? So That's our Desert Island Discs. Oh my Desert God, that was so great. That was so much fun. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, so you'll be able to find those on... We're going to make a YouTube playlist for those. Um, and a Spotify one. We'll also link to, when we can, we'll add in a link to the Sociological Review. Or you might just want to Google... If you Google Sociological mm-hmm. Review in July... That will probably be after we've published this. There will right. be not just this, but also, I think, 11 other people doing their, their playlists. And I think they're going to put those playlists Ooh. on YouTube as well. So it's going to be a whole thing. And we're part of nice. it. Yay! Yeah, that is exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, 
That's it, isn't it? So if you enjoyed this and it's the first time you've heard us and you want to hear all of our content, remember that we have a Patreon where every other episode is um, exclusively for our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash Meg, John and Justin. You can tweet us at Meg, John, Justin. We're on the other, other social medias, but not really. <laughs> so uh, just tweet us. And um, that's it, isn't it? That's it for now. All right. Yes. Back with more emotions soon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. See you all soon. Bye. Bye.